Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Steve Bandrzak. Steve's the Chief Executive Officer of Xerox, a workplace and digital printing solutions company that earns in excess of $7 billion in annual revenue. Steve ascended to the CEO role in August of 2022 and joined Xerox in 2018 as President and Chief Operations Officer. Steve's led the company through a period of remarkable transformation and resilience. He's in the process of returning the company to its roots in many ways, which is also leveraging cutting edge technology at the same time. I look forward to speaking with him about the future of Xerox, his pathway to the CEO post, his history in technology, and much more. Prior to joining Xerox, Steve served as Chief Operating Officer and Chief Information Officer at Alight Solutions, and he's held senior leadership positions at various multi-billion dollar com global companies, including HP, Avaya, Nortel, Lenovo, DHL, and Avnet. Steve, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Peter, thanks for having me. That's a, it's a great pleasure. I've been looking forward to our conversation. Same here. Well, Steve, um, I, I gave the briefest of introductions to Xerox's business, and uh, you know it better than I do. Give, me, give us a, a couple of minutes of background into Xerox uh, as it is now. Yeah, I think, Peter, so first of all, Xerox has had a proud history of really driving innovation and driving productivity in the office space. You know, you think about all the great inventions that have come out of Xerox and going back to Park and the Ethernet and going back to the mouse, and you think about the office print environment and the ability to be able to change the way people worked in and around the office, then scanning and then adding software on top of office devices for doing things like language translation, for doing things like workflow and documents, the ability to scan and grade papers, the ability to scan papers and look at plagiarism. And so we have driven productivity in the office environment for the history of Xerox, as well as production print. And so if you go to an Office Depot, you go to a Staples, big production print, whether it's marketing print, whether it's print in and around things like nonprofits, in churches, synagogues, I mean, birthday cards. I mean, we, we play in so many different ecosystems. You go into a Target today, all the signage and all the things that you see inside of a Target come from Xerox printers and Xerox infrastructure. And so we have played an incredible role in many industries, but more specifically in driving the office environment. And so now we start to think about the next generation of Xerox as the hybrid workplace and the distributed workforce. We have an incredible role and an opportunity to really help to now drive further productivity in the office with new technology in and around AI, in and around robotics, in and around workflow, IoT data, and how that plays into what we do. And so we're incredibly excited about the future of Xerox, but the, the heart of what we are, we're a technology company that drives the office and drives productivity in the office. Great synopsis there, Steve, and exciting to, to hear the excitement in your voice for the future of this organization as well. Um, you, you talked about it at the heart that this is a technology company, and I know in a recent conversation you and I had, you talked about how technology is really driving strategy uh, in this organization, among others, uh, whereas the re reverse may have been more the mode in the past. And, and I wonder if you could talk a bit about that insight, uh, you know, and, and, and how, in fact, that's driving strategy at Xerox. Yeah, so a couple of ways. First of all, think about internally first, right? My background of being a CIO and understanding how technology can drive and improve and simplify 
what we're doing internally. So simple things like robotics. We started our robotics as a service three years ago. We now do close to 7 million transactions per month with automation. We did the same thing with artificial intelligence and how do we embed AI into our functions. And I'll talk about the, the disruption of the service industry. But really what we're trying to do is to use the technology internally to drive better experience. You know, we talk about the consumer experience, Peter, in everyday life, whether it's around your Amazon experience, your experience with Uber, you think about Netflix, you think about all the things you have on your mobile app. These are all technologies that drive personal productivity. I'm trying to drive that same sense of urgency in terms of making things easier internally using technology so that people can up their skills and focus on the things that are not repetitive, not the things that we can automate, but focus on the things that drive incredible value internally on some of the higher activities, right? And so I have been incredibly excited. Each one of my EC staff, my executive staff, now has a list of things they're driving in terms of AI, in terms of what they're driving with robotics. You think about HR and you're like, where does HR use AI? Well, we use AI in a variety of different ways. We look at resumes and we take it and we score it against our backend open jobs. We use robotics as a service for all onboarding of employees, right? Those used to be all manual tasks, all administrative tasks that we use in technology for. Then the beauty of what we've done is we've now taken that technology that we've used internally. We're now taking it and selling it externally and bring it to our clients and very specifically in the SMB space. And I know we'll talk about SMB a little bit later, but small, medium businesses, enterprises, hospitals, you think about law firms, they have enterprise challenges without enterprise capabilities, right? And so when I talk about reinventing the office, everything I'm doing internally, I am now bringing to verticals, hospitals, I'm bringing to law firms, I'm bringing to uh, universities and trying to help them with their work environment with technology. And so we're using technology to drive, simplify, drive and get more consumer-like in every touch point that we have as a company. Steve, you're certainly no uh, small or medium-sized business, but as you talk about the hybrid workplace and distributed workforce and the way in which you're going to be developing solutions to uh, aid organizations in this remarkable transition that's happened across uh, so many businesses, to what extent is it a reflection of Xerox's own business? So, um, you know, to what extent are your ideas first uh, leveraged or used uh, within Xerox before making it out to, to customers as well? Yeah, there's a lot of it that we rinse and repeat. Uh, so you think about things like order to cash. You think about the payables process, the receivable process. I'm using robotics to do a lot of that internally. And then I can go to my clients and say, we can help you with things like invoice processing. We can help you with things like resume reviews. We can help you with on and on and on. So those are all things that we've done internally. So we take those core processes, we take those core robotics that we've already built and we bring it to our clients. But more importantly, we bring outcomes to our clients. So when I go to a client and I talk about, I now can improve my receivables by over 30% using robotics. I can now improve my supply chain accuracy by using AI by 30%. I now can take that and I can help our clients understand 
what the art of the possible is. It's not just the technology, it's a business outcome and they can very clearly see the benefit of it. And they, you know, the worst that happens is like, okay, let's give it a try. Let's see if we can drive that type of productivity and that type of outcome using those same solutions. So I become the best use case in terms of how you use these technologies and how our clients could absorb and use these technologies. The beauty about it, if you take a look at robotics and you know whether it's UiPath or whether it's Microsoft, those are only tools. So if you don't understand the process, you don't understand how to embed it into your existing IT infrastructure, how to think about security, how you think about building the operations around robotics, you don't have anything but a tool Right. So what I do is I bring that to you as a service, just like I bring managed print services. And I've invent, I've invented MPS, which is I want to just pay by the click. I don't care about your device. I don't care about paper. I don't care about supplies. I just want the device to work and I just want to pay by the click. Think about robotics as a service. I don't want to have to set up the process. I don't want to have to have the skills of developing it. I just want to pay by the transaction. I don't have any knowledge. I don't have any capabilities. I just want it to work. And that's what we're bringing to our, our clients in the RPA space, in the AI space. We're also looking at it in the service industry, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, in augmented virtual reality as well. Well, let, let's double click on a couple of things you've already mentioned, uh, Steve. You talked about uh, the SMB space and some of the work that you're doing there. You gave some examples of the churches and synagogues and law firms, for example, who have enterprise needs, but they don't have enterprise budgets or teams necessarily akin to a, a business like yours, for example. And um, talk a bit about, I'd love to hear more about how you are serving them and some of the insights as to why that is such an attractive space for Xerox to address. The beauty is twofold. One, I already have a sales team there. I already have a service team there, meaning that I am a trusted partner already. My devices are behind the firewall. My devices are already integrated into their IT infrastructure. So when I come and I talk about robotics or I talk about AI or I talk about any type of IT services, I am already embedded. I'm already trusted. And that's really important, Peter, because I'm not going anywhere. I've been here for 100 years, right? So they trust it. They know the name of their service provider. They know the name of their salesperson. So it's different than a traditional value-added reseller that's just going to sell components. I'm going to sell a solution, and I'm going to be with them in the whole journey, right? So you're already doing my print infrastructure. You're already doing managed print. Why don't you help me with these other areas inside of the facilities that you already exist, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is they have enterprise challenges. Ransomware doesn't care about the size of the company, doesn't care whether you're a church or whether you're a Xerox or a Johnson & Johnson or you pick your enterprise brand. It doesn't matter. And the reality is they don't have the skills, they don't have the capabilities to be able to push back and deal with a ransomware attack or drive productivity using RPA. Or we went into this hybrid workforce. Think about churches and synagogues, right? We went into this hybrid distributed parishioners. Some take service from home, some go into the physical church or the physical synagogue. That's a hybrid, that's a hybrid environment. That's a hybrid workplace. How do you deal with that? How do you take the same service, the same message, not only stream it, but how do you show the, the Bible verse of the day? How do you do collections, right? How do you do donations? How do you do contributions? By the way, 
How do you do charitable help, right? Those are all things that we can help in and create that environment that helps churches, that helps synagogues, nonprofits, right? Think about nonprofits, the need for whether it's homeless, whether it's cancer, what, you know, you pick your nonprofit of choice, the needs didn't go away because COVID came. And yet we had to figure out a way of how do we do those things? We can't have the big events like we used to have, right? So how do you drive things like online donations, online fundraising? Xerox plays in that space very, very well today, right? And so those are the things that we've been able to do. And, you know, it's strange because a big portion of my business when COVID hit, we lost a big portion of our business because people started to work from home, didn't go back to the office full time, and they're not printing as much. But it's the best thing that ever happened to us. It gave us a, an opportunity to think about Xerox of the future differently through the lens of technology, through the lens of how do you drive this next generation workplace? How do you think about AI and chat GBT? How do you think about augmented reality? And so for me, it's been the greatest accelerator of things we've already had to do in developing solutions, both internally and externally. That's a great overview. I also wanted to to return to a point you made in brief and, and have you uh, uh, enlighten us a little bit more deeply about the reinvention of the service industry, that, that uh, there are real opportunities for Xerox to accelerate that as well. Uh, what did you mean by that? Yeah, when I got here, Peter, you know, it was the physical traditional way in which we serviced our product. So you'd get an error or you'd get a, a, a particular problem with your print device. You'd call it 800 number. We would log a ticket and we'd dispatch a service technician. Okay. Think about that same thing with your cable modem at home or think about any service in your house, right? You call your cable provider you know, they say, hey, you're a great customer. Can you tell me the serial number on your, your Wi-Fi device or your modem? You go in your closet, you move everything, you finally get the you finally get the serial number. Hey, Peter, yes, loyal customer, great customer. We'll be out in three days between three and five. No, 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 my, my internet's down now. I need somebody now. Yeah, Peter, great. You're a great customer. We'll see you in three days. Okay? <laughs> so the first problem was we don't have a good experience, number one. Second, Peter, I send somebody who's got 30 years experience versus somebody who's got 30 days experience. I send somebody that may have the right part, may not have the right part. Okay. And so that whole experience is challenged because if I get the right part and I have the right experience person, I get it fixed. If I don't have the right experience in the right part, I've got a return trip. Now we're trying to drive a sustainable environment. Last thing I want to do is to send truck rolls multiple times or even send truck rolls when I don't have to. And I can have a client actually resolve the problem themselves. So let me tell you what it looks like today. Augmented virtual reality and artificial intelligence. So we use ServiceNow on the back end to do all of our trouble tickets. Okay, We acquired and we built a product called Care AR, augmented virtual reality that bolts onto ServiceNow. So today, if you get a problem with your device in the field, that particular device sends an error into my data lake. That data lake picks up with artificial intelligence. I pick up that error and I send it to my St. John's call center up in Canada. When my agent gets it, artificial intelligence tells them based on this particular error, here are the top three ways to solve that problem based on the historic trouble tickets 
based on all the R&D data that I have and based on the history of faults for that particular product. I then send you a text, Peter, open the text, and there's an augmented virtual reality where I can remotely talk you through how to fix and resolve that problem, okay? So now what have I done? I've done two things. One, I have started customer self-service immediately. I've proactively reached out to you. You didn't have to call me. By the way, if we can't fix it, that session has been recorded so that when my technician goes out, they've already seen the previous things that have already been resolved, okay? Fast forward, 40% improvement in customer self-service, 40%. 50% reduction in second calls where I don't have to send out a second technician or a second truck roll. So what am I doing? I'm reducing my carbon footprint in terms of I don't have to have truck rolls, okay? I am closing the gap between how fast a customer gets something resolved. Now with CareAR, in CareAR, I have something called Instruct. In there, there are video libraries that allow you to see how to fix or how to change or how to do something on a particular printer using YouTube, using videos. So now if I've got a 30-day experienced technician that goes out, I can give them a video library of how to fix it, along with AI that tells me the top three ways to fix that particular problem. But more importantly, if it doesn't resolve it, I do a link back to my level three support help desk. And now I've got a technical engineer with higher expertise that can work with that engineer in the field to solve that problem, right? So we are revolutionizing the service industry, augmented virtual reality, machine learning, AI, AIT data, okay? And so you think about all of this thing that we have, we're using technology to revolutionize, and I don't say that lightly, revolutionize the service industry. Think about telecom today. You have the same issue in telecom. Think about the airline industry. You have the same issue. Any industry that has physical workers and technicians in the field to fix something, whether it's fixed home appliances, air conditioning, I don't care what it is. You think about towers, right? You think about uh, 5G towers, 6G towers, the same thing, right? Wherever you need a technician to physically go, we now have the ability to revolutionize one the type of knowledge worker that you need. Now think about my recruiting, as opposed to I'm recruiting somebody that says, I'm going to give you a van and a bunch of parts and a manual to fix something. No, I'm gonna teach you augmented virtual reality. You're gonna use AI. You're gonna use your digital native skills to come on and you're gonna be in a tech exciting environment that helps drive the service industry. We've taken it a step further, Peter. We now have released our first product where when we ship the product on the outside of the box is a QR code. You scan that code. Up comes CareAR. CareAR takes you through how do you unbox? How do you install? And if you get stuck, we do a augmented virtual reality session remote to help you complete the installation. Think about telecom. They're going to ship out 5 million 5G devices to people in the homes. How many calls do you think they're going to get to the 800 number, right? And so if you can use technology to do the install, videos to help clients finish the install, and then if they get stuck, then you do a session back to somebody who can actually take them through that. 
it's a much different experience than the traditional 800 number ticket and then we'll dispatch somebody. Incredibly compelling, Steve. Thank you for that overview. Uh, for a good reason, artificial intelligence has come up a, a variety of different places in our conversation so far. And one of the things I found really interesting in our last conversation was you brought up the point that AI is nothing without data. Uh, but furthermore, that the ecosystem that Xerox plays in is all about data. And you went into some detail to describe the tremendous advantages the company has uh, at a time when the sanctity of data is increasing uh, you know, uh, uh, remarkably. And, and I wonder if you could t tell, tell some stories related to that, please. Yeah, so if you think about paper, everything that goes on paper is in a digital format before it goes on paper. Everything that's scanned goes into a digital format, print in the cloud, right? They, all of these things are now in digital formats. We have been at the heart of protecting that data for our enterprise customers. FedRAM certification, where we've had certification from the federal government around keeping and maintaining security around data. Things like, oh, if you are the CEO of the company, you have certain rights and certain access to certain documents. If you are the EA of the CEO, you can't print certain things, okay? And so we've had the ability to be able to secure documents, redact information, that you can see. We can take watermark labels and put it on documents to make sure that it's authentic. What, what do you need with AI? Origin, destination, authentication, redaction, validation, what data is coming from a real source, a good source. By the way, if you take a look at ChatGBT, it's built on about 70 million documents. We do billions of documents per month. Think about that. Okay, and so we can help our clients using the information that they have to now start to add AI, now start to add ChatGBT on top of the information that they have, whether it's documents that are in Word, PDFs, physical documents that need to be scanned and put into a repository that you can run AI on top of. You think about AI, AI, we think about physical documents, we think about Word documents, but AI now will play in video in the future, will play in voice in the future, all right? We have, at Xerox, we have had all of that where we've secured all those environments. We have rolled it up, we have given it to our clients to use in many different formats. So we can play an instrumental part in getting that data, protecting that data, validating that data, securing it. Everybody's worried about AI and what if the source is real or not real. Everybody's worried about who gets access to what and how it works. Xerox has a great opportunity to play in that world and in that space. Same thing with ChatGBT. ChatGBT, there's no way you're going to take all of your sales data, your employee data, and make that public to ChatGBT. But what happens if I take a version of that and I make a private white label for you, Mr. Enterprise, and then I add Xerox's cloud solution underneath it, where now I am curating, I am securing, I am looking at all the origin and destination, who can have access to that data. Now ChatGPT becomes your enterprise solution on your validated data with your security. So we can play a big role in that space as we go forward. So we're really excited about AI. But as I said before, AI is just a tool without data. 
it's completely useless without data and very similar to a lot of tools that we see out there, Peter, whether it's, you know, and you and I have been in the industry a long time, technology for the sake of technology is useless. It's got to drive business outcome. It's got to drive business results. All right. And we've seen the same implementations of tools in one company, very successful. Other companies, not so much. Why? They didn't change the process. They didn't change the way they work. They didn't understand the data. They didn't understand how to drive the outcome, right? And it's the same thing with AI today. I think AI has got a great future, got a great opportunity in many companies. I know a lot of people are, okay, how do we use it? Is it going to be scary, not scary? Look, it's already in every aspect of our lives today. Get on and do a banking transaction. It's in every one of our lives today, all right? And so what we're trying to do is to help, especially in the SMB space and, and even in large enterprises where they have massive amounts of physical data that now you think about how we can get that in electronic format, now you can run AI on top of it. You know, law firms have tremendous amounts of just unbelievable amounts of data, whether it's physical data, whether it's on paper, whether it's stored, and they don't know what to do with it. They, they don't have the opportunity to leverage the tools that allows them to drive productivity and drive outputs. And so we are really excited at Xerox and how we can play in that environment going forward. Yeah, very interesting. And, and uh, just as technology will not be successfully leveraged without changes of process that, that will help guide them, likewise, even the processes will not be successful without great people. And I know you've thought an awful lot about uh, the team that you're building. I, I, one particular anecdote uh, stuck out to me in, in a recent conversation we had, which, which was the development of the Young Professionals Nexus uh, at Xerox. Talk a little bit about uh, that development and, um, and, and why this, this uh, group was put together. Yeah, so look, we, we have had a proud history of employee resource groups, ERGs, inside of Xerox going back, you know, 35 plus years. Uh, I just did a keynote at the Women's Alliance a couple of months ago. 35 plus years we've had it inside of Xerox. And so we're really proud of that. One of the groups are what we call YP, Young Professionals, right? Every one of our ERG groups has an executive sponsor. I sponsor the YP group. And so every month I meet with them. I spend time with them. I go through with them. And it does a couple of things for me, Peter. Number one, I get a chance to mentor and I get a chance to coach, get a chance to help them. But more importantly, I get mentored. And what I mean by that is I get a chance to listen to what is important. You know, when you and I joined the workforce, we had a totally different set of requirements about what a good job would be, what a good company would be, what was important to us. Okay. Today, Every generation has a different set of priorities, okay? And so when you listen to the YP group, the importance of sustainability, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a logo. It's not, a, it's not something that's the fashion of the day. It's important to them. It's important. How are we contributing as a company to sustainability, right? How are we thinking about this work-life balance? How are we thinking about developing? young professionals, okay? How do you think about things like, oh, data privacy? Is that important? Now, you know, a year ago, they talked to me about, well, Steve, when are you going to get on TikTok, All right? And I thought it was like the craziest thing in the world. Peter, next month, we're going to do an ad on TikTok. We're going to get there, okay? And I was on, I don't know if you saw me, but I was on Fox Business uh, a couple of months ago. A young lady ahead of me 
was a single mom who had been on an influencer. She had 10 million followers on TikTok. 10 million. So I went back to my team. I was like, how many followers do I have? Right? You know, and it's it's like, but I never even would have thought about TikTok, never would have done that. The YP team pushing me hard on, hey, Steve, this is where we are. This is where you need to meet us. This is where you need to meet your next generation of workers, right? So for me, I get a chance to coach, mentor, but more importantly, I get tremendous feedback, Peter. I get tremendous feedback on the relevance ideas. You know, when we had the we had the pandemic hit, we all were looking at really, really hard on what we do with costs. And we suspended our 401k. And I didn't think that young professionals would really care about the 401k. I thought, you know, more important, we keep jobs open, more important, we keep pay. 401k wasn't a big issue. But Peter, I was so surprised around how important 401k was to that generation, even though they're 30, 40 years away from retirement. Okay. And I think maybe the difference is you and I maybe were, were growing up in the area of pensions. And now we think differently 401k versus pensions, retirements, and the importance of how important it is with all of the communications around medical expenses later in life and so forth. Right. And so I think this is now more important to them which candidly I thought would have been less important. But unless you're in those groups, unless you're spending time with those groups and those individuals, you would not know. The other thing that's important is if they're not excited about the company, they're not helping you recruit. You want them to tell their friends, this is an exciting place. This is, this is a place that understands and listens to what we want as young professionals. This is a company that listens to issues of the day and important issues of the day, right? And so for me, I give and I get as much as I give. I learn an awful lot. They learn an awful lot for me. And it's an exciting experience and exciting times to, you know, sponsor the young professionals. That's a great overview. And we'll certainly be keeping our eyes open for your uh, your TikTok launch, Steve. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned earlier, and in several ways, the long and storied history of Xerox and innovation. And a lot of that centers around uh, the history of the Palo Alto Research Center, uh, known as PARC. Um, and I, in April uh, of this year, uh, you announced the donation of PARC to SRI International. Uh, I'm curious about that. First of all, that it's a donation, and, and as well as the rationale of, of uh, you know, severing ties uh, with, with this legendary aspect of the business. Talk a bit about that decision, if you would. Yeah, I think so. A couple of things, Peter. So if you go back, you know, just four years ago, the profitability and the revenue of Xerox was a lot different than where it is today. You know, we're about two billion dollars of top line down. I generated, you know, a billion plus free cash flow back in 2019. It was 140 plus million last year. Okay, so significant shift in terms of the dynamics of the business. Hawk is research that is for technology that's going to come five, seven, ten years down the road. Seven to ten of all of their things that they're working on will never come to a product. They may solve a problem, but may or may never come to a product. All right. And so the amount of money that we were spending on longer term technologies that may or may not come to a product was something that I said we had to focus more on the reinvention of Xerox, the investment in the workplace, all the things we talked about a few minutes ago, growing my IT services, growing my digital services. 
So what I wanted to do is change the priorities in terms of where the investments were on things that would give me revenue three to five years from now. So that was number one. Number two, you know, you take a look at IBM, you take a look at AT&T, the HPs of the world. Everybody has significantly shifted research for the sake of research. Right? We see a lot of VC money that's out there and we've got lots of different other areas that drive research and people invest in. All right. However, Hawk is historic. Hawk is a incredible, incredible contribution to the success of society. And I mean that in, in the humblest way, what they did with the Ethernet, what they've done with the mouse, what you see is what you get, autonomous vehicles, AI, all the things that they've done through the years have had tremendous impact on society, number one. Number two, they have a tremendous impact on technologies that are important to the national security of this country. And so when you think about Park, I can't screw that up as a CEO. I must make sure that that winds up in a place that continues to benefit the world in general, as well as contributing to the national security and the things that we need as a nation, all right? SRI was another like type organization, Stanford Research Institute, that is doing very similar things in different areas. And so we thought about is, can we put the two organizations together that would continue the charter of PARC of continuing to drive and solve some of the hardest problems in the world around sustainability, around security, around what we think about in terms of next generation AI, what we think about in terms of next generation compute, next generation network, right? They're working on some of the toughest problems in the world, Peter. We couldn't stop that, all right? So putting the two organizations together, we actually accelerate research. We continue all the great things we were doing for the national security and the national interests of this country, but more importantly for me is I still have a relationship with Park SRI. I still see the technologies. I still see what they're working on. If there are things that are relevant to Xerox, I can co-develop with them and then bring them on as a product and contribute to my product roadmaps and my product path. So I have the best of everything. I don't have to contribute but yet I still advance the research and I still have insight and the ability to be able to take that research, take those technologies and put them into Xerox products going forward. So I am very proud of where it landed uh, in terms of the, the donation, very proud of Xerox's history. And I really did, I wanted to make sure that Park landed in the right place. It is so historic, Peter. You know, you think about, you know, all the great leaders that came out of Park, Eric Schmidt, you know, you pick them, all right? The Spark operating system, right? That was software at Park. That's where it came from. And so all of these things that came out of Park and the great history, I wanted to make sure that legacy continued. I wanted to make sure that we continued the mission of Park. And by the way, I wanted to preserve the individuals who are working at Park. We've got people that have been there 20, 30, 40 years who have worked on and have contributed to some of the most advanced science in the world. We needed to retain that. We needed to make sure that, that continued 
to have that journey going forward. So we're really proud of where Park landed. Uh, we could not be more proud of the Park SRI, uh, you know, relationship and the donation we made. And, you know, Canley is going to benefit our clients and it's going to benefit Xerox going forward. Yeah, fantastic. Great. Thank you for sharing the, those anecdotes. And clearly, uh, the innovation continues within within Xerox. We've talked about a number of trends, and I'd love to kind of uh, identify some some additional ones that might uh, be of particular consequence from your perspective as you look forward. We've already talked about AI in a few different settings, the use of augmented reality, virtual reality, robotics, the Internet of Things. You know, as you as you look to the future, Steve, anything else that particularly catching your eye or making its way onto your roadmap? Yeah, look, I think the the use of data in motion is going to be really important and the power of edge computing. I think those two things are going to be incredibly different. You know, you think about the amount of data that's going through our infrastructure today. All right. We cannot store everything centrally in a cloud and, you know, make everything go back out. The networks, the infrastructure, it's going to have to change significantly, especially if you think about video, you start to think about the how video will play in processes going forward. So I do think edge compute. I do think the ability of having applications at the edge and technology at the edge is going to be extremely, extremely important going forward. I think that's important. Second, I think the use we just started the use of data in motion, whether it's IoT data, sensor data. We just started looking at how do you create new paradigms? How do you create new processes, new ways of working in and around these new data elements that we're seeing? We're so used to developing business processes around stagnant data, data that sits in databases, data that's sitting at rest. We're now looking at new paradigms with data in motion. You know, you take a look at Amazon. I got Alexa in my home. Alexa says your package is being delivered. It's showing up, right? Real simple example, but that changes the way we think about how packages get delivered. We don't leave them outside. You're going to see a ton of that new processes around IoT data. And more importantly, that data at the edge is going to give us the ability to respond and do things a lot quicker. So those are the two things. And then, you know, look, massive compute, right? Quantum computing uh, is going to be incredibly important. You know, we, we, I grew up in the Moore's Law. You grew up in the Moore's Law. You know, we got really excited when CPU chips doubled and got really excited. Well, how archaic and how old does that feel right now when you think about it? Okay. And so, you know, we think about quantum computing, we think about where that's going and the art of the possible, the ability to crunch data that we haven't even imagined in terms of size and speed. And what is that going to mean in the future, right? How is that going to change how we think about cancer research how is it going to think about how we think about communications how we think about the work environment how we think about decision making right it's going to have an incredible profound impact uh, on a positive way as we go forward great example certainly you alluded to uh, at the at the top of our conversation steve your past as a chief information officer a role you held multiple times it was the role you held when we first met and I wonder if you could maybe uh, talk a bit more about the importance of your time as a CIO across multiple organizations on your pathway to the current seat that you occupy. Look, I, I think, you know, the CIO role is an MBA learning to the CEO seat for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I probably have done 60 plus M&A integration and acquisitions and put companies together. 
you learn an awful lot about driving technology, driving change, driving processes, driving new outcomes, driving new ways of working, driving the P&L, right? And so the CIO has an interesting seat across all functions, has an interesting seat in terms of how technologies can really drive new business paradigms. Also has an interesting seat in terms of how you can drive change. You know, I, I teach at Columbia Peter Digital Disruption, and I always thought my class was today is the slowest technology will ever be in all of our lives, aka today is the slowest change will ever be in all our lives. So the CIOs have an incredible seat, not only in terms of technology, but how do you drive change? How do you drive culture? CIOs have to be able to do that, not only with their own organization, but across organizations. The adoption and the utilization of technology is only going to go as fast as the environment can absorb it. The environment can use it, right? How many times have you had incredibly successful projects, but terrible business outcomes? I've seen it my entire career. It happens. And yet I've seen so-so projects and had great business outcomes, right? So the CIO has a couple of roles to play. One, visionary in terms of where technology is going. Everything I've talked about over the last half hour around technology impacts every single industry, including industries that are slow to change, whether it's federal government, state government, even legal firms. Every industry that has and will be impacted by technology, the CIO plays an incredible role there from a visionary standpoint and the art of the possible. Second, they are the change leader. They have to be the one that helps and drive the change in the company, not technology change, cultural change, process change, absorption change. How do you drive that, okay, it is okay to fail fast mentality and figure it out and go on and how do you become innovative? How do you drive innovation? I think the CIO, you know, chief information, chief innovation officer, you know, we're going to have a lot of names, but they drive and it's important that they drive those change and have a seat. They sit at the board level in terms of security. You know, you think about cyber today. You think about security risk today. You think about enterprise risk today. How much is enterprise risk in and around technology? Not just security vulnerabilities, but the ability to be able to impact supply chains auto management, e-commerce, you pick it, all right? And so the CIOs have an incredible role to play. The one thing that I would encourage CIOs out there to do is to take more of an active role in the business side. One of the things that I did very early in my career was I took on other business roles, whether it's running a sales team, you know, I ran the BPO team at HP, shared services team at HP, I had run different functions and got experience in running different functions. Now, when you got experience to run those functions, you now put IT and technology vision on top of it. You have a great role and a great path to a COO or a CEO in the future. So, so bottom line, you think uh, th there will be a lot more people on the same path that you've taken? I, I do. I do. And, you know, yeah. think about on the board, you know, every board today has some sort of tech committee. And even if they don't call it a tech committee, they're constantly reviewing cybersecurity. They're constantly reviewing what they can do with technology to drive change in the company. So, uh, yeah, I CIOs 
clearly will have a bigger role uh, in companies and C-suites and certainly on boards going forward. But, you know, Peter, it's, you know, what I find is there are certain CIOs that just want to be CIOs from an operation standpoint. Maybe they expand a little bit to applications, but they never really want to get too far to drive the business. They want to be the follower of the business. And I think it's just the opposite. I think CIOs can set the vision and drive the vision and candidly drive company change if they've got the right partnership with a CEO or with the executive staff. But CIOs got a great opportunity today to, to certainly get to this seat and COO seats uh, in many companies in the future. That's an inspiring word, Steve. I wanted to uh, conclude with uh, a broader question about the secrets to your success, Steve. But by any measure, you've had a real A-plus career. You've held leadership roles across a great number of, of leading companies. Uh, you now are the chief executive officer of a storied technology company. Uh, what have been some of the difference makers along the way that have helped propel you to, to the heights you've reached? A couple of things, Peter. I think, one, I've always taken the path that is the hardest, but taught me the most. So I was the CIO for DHL and, you know, DHL being the CIO for a company of that size with a multi-billion dollar IT budget. And then I went and did the IBM PC spin out. So I went from a $4 billion budget to a $300 million budget. Why? Because I was going to build something, be a part of something historic. We were going to build the first company out of China on a global basis, okay? From a compensation standpoint, I went backwards. But from an experience standpoint, I made major leaps forward. I did the same thing when I was at Nortel. Nortel went into bankruptcy. I was the CIO there. I was getting well functions and I was asked to run the America's sales team. So instead of reporting into the CEO, I went two levels down and reported into the senior vice president of sales. Think about that. But I ran a sales team. I learned how to run a sales team. I learned how to do pipe management. I learned how to build pipe. I learned how to spend time with customers. I learned about contract. So sometimes you've got to take those steps down or take a harder path and let your pride go away because you know it's a part of your resume that's important going forward. So take a harder path, continue to build those skills, continue to learn part of the business. The last thing is I've always taken risk. I've never been afraid, Peter. I've always taken jobs. You know, you think about the the Lenovo job. That job was, and Lenovo had a high probability of failure. Nobody realized how how much or how much risk the Lenovo business was in when it took on the IBM PC division. First of all, you're taking two cultures, big challenge. The largest customer of the IBM PC division was the U.S. government. Think about that. Okay. And yet we made it work. We made it work. Okay. And I went through that evolution and I'm part and proud of a team with Jerry Smith, who's over at Office Depot. Okay. We're proud of that team that built a historic brand, $4 billion Chinese based Beijing company to now, I don't know what they 60 billion on the worldwide stage. Okay. And so, you know, you take those chances. And so the second thing is take those chances. That's okay. All right. And I would say the last part of it is I've had the privilege of being around great leaders. But when you stay with one company, you only know one thing. 
And so I'm not an advocate from jumping from company to company, but I am an advocate for working for different people with different diversity. I work for a German company with DHL, work for a Chinese company with Lenovo, work for a Canadian company in Nordtel, right? You work in different companies with different leadership, with different qualities. You learn an awful lot about different leadership styles. How do you lead people? How do you grow people? How do you mentor people? How do you drive change around the globe, right? And so I've had that ability to work in Germany, to work in Beijing, work in Asia Pacific, work in California versus the East Coast. Two different worlds, by the way, right? Working in Menlo and working here in the New York area. It's two different worlds, right? And so I've had the privilege of doing that. And so my recommendation is try different things, take the hardest path. When you feel comfortable, get out, literally especially when you're young and early in your career. When you're just sitting there and you're comfortable and you're on autopilot, time to change, right? You got to feel uncomfortable and you got to continue to drive new skills and new valuations. You and I know so many people, okay, who have taken the hardest road, who have taken different jobs, and you're like, why'd they do that? And then five years later, you look back and you're like, I get it. I get it, all right? You know, you, you, whether it's John Henshaw or Ted, you know, Boeing, you know, you pick them. You pick the, the the players that you and I both know through history. You've always they've always done things that expanded their resume, and sometimes they had to take a step back. Sometimes they had to take something different that you're like, hmm. You're the global CIO. You're like the you know you're like the 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 prince of the industry. Why are you going and taking a sales role? Why are you going and running a factory? Why are you going in? Because it's important. That's how you continue to build your resume and skill. So hopefully that helps the listeners. Uh, incredibly inspiring, Steve, and, and remarkable how humble uh, one, you clearly are to take that hard assessment as to the gaps you needed to fill along the way and took action to do so, despite the fact that in some cases to the outside world, it would almost look like a demotion. Uh, but uh, you, having the long-term horizon in mind, um, clearly uh, you, you've reaped the benefits for for that that uh, that planning process. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing those nuggets of wisdom and for a great conversation, a great expansive conversation, uh, not only about your career path, but the remarkable work that you and your team are doing at Xerox. Uh, thank you so much for taking time with me today, Steve. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, Peter. It's always a pleasure. And uh, to all your listeners, good luck out there. <laughs> thank you so much.